Jesus, we know that your name is strong, and in your name we are more than conquerors over all that we face. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us understand what you say to us in the Bible to grant us wisdom and to grant us courage so that we can serve you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. During my first year in ministry, I remember an evening where everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong in the college group that I was leading at the time. I had laryngitis. My song leaders had laryngitis. The people on my staff were all having major personal crises. The overhead projector didn't work. The backup overhead projector didn't work. I mean, it was one thing after the next, and I remember leaving thinking that just seemed like more than coincidence. It seemed like someone didn't want us to worship God that night. And that was the first time I ever even thought about the notion of spiritual warfare. This idea that there is a shady guy out there named Satan who actively works against God and God's people. Now, to a lot of folk, the idea of the devil just seems medieval and superstitious and kind of just weird. But the same Bible that asserts that there's a God, an assertion most of us accept, also asserts that there is a spiritual force that works against God's purposes in the world. And the Bible calls that force Satan. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the scripture that Dana just read. As Christians, you and I are engaged in a battle. And that battle isn't just against chance or coincidence or bad luck. Sometimes that battle is against spiritual powers. Now, I want to be clear. When I say spiritual warfare, I'm not talking about some kind of weird, I, I didn't get a parking spot so I was late to church because the devil's after me kind of a thing. I'm talking about the things that really get us off track from following God and participating with him in building his kingdom. Things like a sudden series of intense doubts. Not just ordinary doubts, we all have those. But paralyzing, disabling doubts about our faith. Intense guilt and shame. A series of circumstances that derail you from God's purposes. Disunity and fighting between Christians. Satan knows that if God's people ever get together, he's in real trouble, so he's always going to try to divide us about something. I have a friend who's a pastor in the inner city, and He's been gaining a lot of momentum lately, bringing people to Christ, helping people get off drugs. And then right before a major event in his ministry, he was robbed twice. He and his family faced a series of health crises, and he and his wife started fighting, something they never do, all within two weeks of each other. Now, some of that is just a natural, normal part of life, but some of it seems orchestrated. I remember reading a Christian psychiatrist once who said that 95% of the disorders he saw in his office he could explain with science. But there was 5% that just seemed unexplainable, seemed supernatural. The Bible says that if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to get attacked in some way, so be ready for it. And the more you follow him, the more, the more you spread his kingdom, the more pressure you're going to feel. In fact, I always take it as kind of a compliment if I feel like I'm engaged in spiritual warfare because I must be doing something right if Satan's nervous about little old me, right? And if we as a church are going to take Jubilee seriously, if we really turn outward and show our community who the real Jesus is through acts of service, and people start coming to Jesus because of that, 
well, we're going to face some battles. But the good news in all of this is that we don't have to take it. We have weapons in this spiritual war that we're engaged in. And I just want to mention a few of the weapons that are listed in the text we just read. And I'd encourage you to go home and read this text over and over this week and just to get a little deeper into it. I'm just going to kind of skim over them real quick, but maybe you want to read more about it all week. In our spiritual battle, we have a couple of weapons at our disposal. One of them is called the belt of truth. And if you think about what a belt does, well, it holds everything together. Soldiers in Paul's day wore skirts. Don't ask me why, they just did. They wore skirts, and so when they wanted to go into battle, they had to hike up their skirt and hold it together with a belt. That's the problem with wearing a skirt when you're a soldier, right? So they had to wear, have these belts and would hold their skirts up so they could go into battle. Well, that's what truth does for us. The belt of truth about who Jesus is holds our faith and our lives together so we can go forward. For instance, when doubts come along, the belt of truth is a great weapon. When I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, I had a professor there who didn't believe that Jesus ever really existed at all. It was a wonderful training ground to be a pastor, let me tell you. He used to say things like, you know, the Gospel of John was written late in the first century. This calls into question the resurrection of Jesus because maybe over time the sort of elaboration happened to the story. And Well, that bothered me until I realized two things. First, all the other Gospels were written much earlier. And second, many of Paul's letters were written within 15 years of Jesus. Not enough time to fabricate a story. Too many people around to contradict it. The resurrection must have happened. So I pointed those things out to him, and he said, yes, well, uh, anyway, that was his rebuttal. The professor's half-truth caused some doubts. The full truth about who Jesus is held my faith together. The belt of truth holds our faith and our lives together. You ever notice how if you tell one white lie, you've got to tell 20 more just to cover over the one? And pretty soon you're juggling all these white lies, and things start to fall apart? Truth holds our lives together and our faith. Second weapon we have is the breastplate of righteousness. And a breastplate protects your heart. So a breastplate of righteousness would protect our heart, our emotions, particularly from feelings of guilt and shame. You know, one of Satan's favorite attacks is to sort of try to make us feel bad about ourselves as Christians. He loves to take those reoccurring sins or our failures and sort of rub our face in them and say, see, see, you're a sinner, you're a failure. Don't you feel bad? Don't you feel awful? Right? You might as well give up. The breastplate of righteousness is our defense against that. Because the righteousness Paul's talking about in this letter isn't ours. We don't have any. It's Christ's righteousness in us. Jesus died to forgive us. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see rotten, sinful people. He sees Christ's righteousness inside us. People for whom Jesus died, who are forgiven and are becoming like Jesus Christ. The breastplate of Christ's righteousness inside of us protects our hearts from feelings of inadequacy and guilt and shame. A third weapon Paul mentions is the shield of faith. Faith is one of our weapons. Now, faith here doesn't mean just mere belief up in our head. Faith is putting our beliefs about who God is into action. Mere belief doesn't do anyone any good. As I've told you before, I can believe that the chair will hold me up. I don't have faith that it will until I sit down. Faith is acting on what we believe. And when we do that, we see God's power unleashed. Peter doesn't know that he can walk on water until he gets out of the boat. 
You'll never know if God is big enough to help you with that problem until you give it to him in faith. You'll never know if God can help you share your faith with a friend until your mouth starts moving. When we have faith, when we act on what we believe, God's power is unleashed. And that protects us in this spiritual battle. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. Next, Paul mentions the helmet of salvation. And if you think of what a helmet does, well, it protects your head. A helmet of salvation, then, would protect our minds from thoughts of despair that come along in tough times. I don't know about you, but when things don't go so well for me, I get despairing thoughts, kind of crazy thoughts. You know, things are kind of tough at work, and I think, maybe I'll just quit and buy a Winnebago and drive around the country, you know? Thoughts of despair, right? A relationship doesn't work out. I'm never going to talk to another human being again because they're weird, right? Despairing thoughts. When things get tough, those are the kinds of thoughts I have. The helmet of salvation, though, protects me from that because it's the assurance that God will save. In fact, that's what Jesus' name means. God will save. And that protects our minds from thoughts of despair. I had a friend whose best friend died. His girlfriend ditched him. He lost his job and his father died all within the same two months. And he just spiraled into depression. And and at one point, he was even suicidal. And one night, he had a bunch of pills in his hand, and he was about to take them. And then he had this kind of strange thought. He thought, I wonder who's going to win the World Series this year. I mean, is that God or what, right? He loved baseball, so God was getting his attention, right? Who's going to, aren't you kind of curious? And then that thought sort of led to another thought. Well, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. And then the next day. And then the next day. And then that thought led to this thought. I wonder what God will do over time with all this rotten stuff if I just hang on. That cleared his head. He threw the pills away. The helmet of salvation. The assurance that God will save. That God will do something with all this rotten stuff protects us from thoughts of despair. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And finally, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Satan comes after us, Scripture is our best offensive and defensive weapon. When circumstances are tough, we can turn to the Bible and find the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us and use everything for good. When we're tempted, we can turn to the Bible and remind ourselves of God's rules for right living and healthy living. When we feel guilty, we can turn to the Bible and be reminded that God loves us and forgives us. The Word of God is like a sword, and it can defeat Satan. The belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are some of the weapons we have in this spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And what all of those weapons point to, of course, is Jesus. Right? They're all about Jesus. Jesus is the truth that holds our lives together. Our faith is in Jesus. It's His righteousness that's in us. Jesus is the one who saves, and the Word of God points to Jesus. What Paul is saying is that when we feel attacked by doubt, circumstances, despair, we can turn to Jesus. And he will fight for us and alongside of us. That's why this passage ends by saying pray continually. Because as we call on Jesus, he'll help us win this battle. And what that means is this. This is the most important part of the sermon, so tune in here. What this all adds up to is that You and I do not have to take Satan's attacks lying down. 
We can be active, not passive, in this battle. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I feel attacked, when I get discouraged, I just sort of lay there and take it. You know, I'm doubting, I'm discouraged, circumstances are tough. Oh, river of despair, take me away, I'm yours. But Paul insists that we can turn to Christ, take up the weapons he has given us, the spiritual weapons, and do vigorous battle with those doubts, those circumstances, that despair. Now, it won't always mean that we'll be saved the pain of the battle. Paul himself was martyred for the faith. But it does mean that Satan will not derail our relationship with God or stop us from doing what God wants us to do in the world. When I was a college pastor, I had to learn this the hard way. Our college group met every Wednesday night. So every Wednesday was a spiritual battle for me. Every Wednesday morning, I would wake up and feel sick to my stomach, literally. And I'd just be sort of paralyzed. I'd wake up, and as soon as the terrible burden of consciousness hit me, I'd make this groaning sound. I'd go, oh. And my wife would say, yes, it's Wednesday. Get up anyway. I'd feel anxious about how the group was going to go that night, and I'd be consumed with self-doubt. I mean, the devil was getting at me at my weakest spot, my insecurities. And I'd think, oh man, I I don't have what it takes to do this ministry. My talk is terrible. The students are going to hate it. God's not going to show up. I'm all alone, right? Just on and on. And I'd feel kind of sick and even kind of dizzy, almost as out-of-body experience. It was weird. I mean, and, and I did this every Wednesday for five years. It was spiritual attack. Yeah, I was a mess. Anyway, so here's what I would do. Every Wednesday, I'd get out of bed and I'd pray and I'd say, oh, Jesus, it's Wednesday. Help. And then I'd have a little chat with my feelings, just between me and my feelings. And I'd say, feelings, I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to keep me from preaching God's word tonight, but Jesus doesn't want that to happen. Now, I may not be able to make you go away, feelings, but you're not going to change how I act. So, feelings, you just sit there in the corner and you just feel away. You just feel worried. You feel just have a feeling party, right? Feelings, nothing more than feelings. You just be in that corner, right? But I'm going to remember the truth about who Jesus is. And I'm going to have faith in him and act on who he is. And I'm not going to let despairing thoughts derail me. So I'm going to go to my computer, and I'm going to write a talk, and I'm going to preach the Word of God today, and you can't stop me, feelings. I never once felt better after that. (laughs) Not once. I'd still feel nervous. I'd still feel sick. But here's the deal. Satan never won that battle. No, not once. Every Wednesday, I showed up at that college group, pathetic talk in hand, and I preached God's Word, and for five years, by God's grace and none of my own doing, God grew that ministry and changed students' lives. And as soon as I came here to First Press Bellevue, all of that anxiety went away. You'll be glad to know I don't feel sick right now. That should encourage you. (laughs) I'm just fine. I don't know what it was about that time. I mean, I'm weird, but I'm not that weird normally. It was out of body. It was a spiritual attack. It's not like me exactly. Circumstances come and circumstances go. Feelings come and feelings go. But Jesus gives us the power and the weapons to rise above them in spite of how we feel and in spite of what's going on around us. You see, spiritual warfare is kind of like squatter's rights. Satan doesn't own the property. That's you. Jesus owns you. But Satan thinks if he just squats on you long enough, maybe he can get you to quit following Jesus and just kind of give up. It's like squatter's rights. Now, you would not allow that to go on in your home, right? I mean, 
If an annoying stranger came into your house, plopped himself on the couch, picked up the remote, and turned the television to WWF Wrestling or something really obnoxious like The Wiggles or Barney or something like that, right? You wouldn't like that. If you just sat there hoping that if you stayed there long enough, you'd just give up and the house would be his, you wouldn't allow that. You'd probably say, please leave, right? It's the same with Satan and all of his attacks. When he tries to take control of your life through circumstances, persecution, despair, whatever it is, tell him, in the name of Jesus, be gone. You don't own me. You don't control me. You're not going to win, so just get out of here. A woman in a church I used to attend was out walking the streets one night, just out on a walk, and a man attacked her and tried to rob her and looked like he might be about to do something worse. And she noticed that he didn't have a gun. So instead of just sort of taking it, she grabbed him by the collar and she started yelling at him. You can't do this to me. I belong to Jesus. You can't do this to me. I belong to Jesus. And this is going to make him mad. And he said, you're right. And he ran away. (laughs) That's what you do when you face Satan's attacks. When those doubts, those fears, those circumstances come at you, grab them by the collar and say, you can't do this to me. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am redeemed in him. You will not win this battle. I am not yours. This world is not yours. In the words of the hymn, this is my father's world. And I will not forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died will be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. When Satan comes at you with all his fiery darts, you don't have to take it. You have the power and authority of Jesus Christ moving in your spirit to tell Satan to go back to hell where he belongs. I know we're Presbyterian, but I think that needs an amen. That's for Jesus who wins the battle, and I know that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we are strong in your name. And Lord, this week we will certainly face normal circumstances of life that get us down and maybe even one or two arrows from the enemy. Lord, we pray in all of those things that we would call on your name, know that you are strong, and rise above the attacks to serve you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.